The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. I feel the need, the need for speed. Ow! This is Jay Bear, author of The Time to Win, How to Exceed Your Customer's Need for Speed. And you, yes, you are listening to The Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to The Marketing Book Podcast. Helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which has been named by Forbes and LinkedIn, amongst others, as one of the top marketing podcasts. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since I get to read every book featured on the show, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or any other resource I know of for whatever challenge you're facing, send me a LinkedIn connection invite with a message that you're a listener, and I will do my best to get you pointed in the right direction. My name again is Douglas Burdett. All right, let's get on with the show. Today, we welcome back Jay Bear to talk about his book, The Time to Win, How to Exceed Your Customer's Need for Speed. Jay Bear is a seventh-generation entrepreneur, New York Times best-selling author of seven books and founder of six multi-million dollar companies. In 2023, he was named a top 30 global guru in both customer experience and in marketing. Jay has advised more than 700 brands in his career, including Nike, Oracle, Hilton, the United Nations, and 40 of the Fortune 500. He is an inductee into the Professional Speaking and Word of Mouth Marketing Halls of Fame. Jay has authored or co-authored among the best-selling business books of all time in the categories of digital marketing, customer service, customer experience, and business growth. He has been named to more than 50 top global business influencer lists. And interesting fact, he is one of the world's most popular tequila influencers. Jay, congratulations on the time to win, and welcome back to the Marketing Book Podcast. Oh, thank you so much. Fantastic to be back. We got to stop meeting like this. I, I, I am. There is a chance, a non-zero percent chance, that my next book will actually be a tequila book. So maybe we can break format on your show, and, and we can have a tequila book conversation someday down the road. Absolutely, absolutely. So now you are a graduate of the University of Arizona. Is that right? That is correct. So I'm just curious, Jay Bear, when you graduate from the University of Arizona and they give you your diploma, do they staple a tequila influencer certificate to it? <laughs> Not as such. However, it is very true that growing up in Arizona, I spent the first 40 years of my life there uh, and going to school really at the border. Mexico is only 40 some miles from campus. You do get influenced by Latino culture uh, in a lot of ways. And so it is not a, uh, it is not an accidental coincidence. That's for sure. Well, that's great. And I should also note that that is one of the Arizona fight songs and it's bear down Arizona. 
Yes. But I noticed they spell bear wrong. They spell. <laughs> I know. B-A-R. I always had a problem with that. Yeah. yeah. You, do you want to know the story to to bear down? Sure. Uh, the the it's it's it feels like they just stole it from from uh, Notre Dame, but they didn't. Uh, the quarterback of the team, John Button Salmon, was his name, was in a terrible car crash and was in the hospital. Uh, in intensive care and was unable to uh, play in the game. And so the coach and other team captains huddled around his bedside, and this is in the early 1900s, and he whispered very wearily because he was chronically terribly injured. He said, tell the team, tell the team to bear down. And thus the motto of the school, you'll see it on all the merchandise and written all over campus, bear down, Arizona. Excellent. Well, I've introduced a uh, proposal to have them uh, spell uh, bear down. I'm, <laughs> Me I'm, too. I'm getting uh, people. I'm getting signatures for the for the petition. And it's important that you mention Notre Dame because I'm uh, Joey Coleman. Apparently, I'm honored to know that he's a listener to the podcast. And we have to be very clear because he's a Notre Dame grad, a very proud Notre Dame Indeed. grad, as they all are. Yeah, <laughs> ain't that the truth? I'd be happy to tell you that they went to Notre Dame. That's for sure. Yes. Yes. So. Jay Bear, this is the fourth time I've been able to interview you for the Marketing Book Podcast, and it means an awful lot to me. And I should say, you were the second guest ever on the Marketing Book Podcast, and I really appreciate that. And I remember after the interview, you said, hey, this is a great idea for a podcast. <laughs> I thought, yeah, wow. Look what you brought. <laughs> that was all the encouragement I needed, Jay. Yeah. So uh, I blame you. No, I thought, well, maybe maybe it's unique. I don't know. But more important than the fact that you're a member of the Marketing Book uh, Podcast uh, Four Timers Club, and as, as all know, that once you're a member of the Marketing Book Podcast Three Timers Club, you get a lifetime supply of Taco Bell discount coupons, which I know is very important to uh, Jay Bear. Yeah. Now I've interviewed only over 330 authors at this point. Many come back to my great uh, delight and surprise, but you are the only one who has ridden in my car. It's true. Yes. Yes. And uh, feel free to add that to your bio. My car is now 20 years old and I refuse to sell it. Because of that, and it, and it tells you about how just how lucrative it is to be a podcast. Host. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And so, in 2020, the right right as the lockdown was happening, the car was hit by this enormous branch of a hundred year old oak tree in my driveway, and which the tree was later taken down because apparently it was rotten. <laughs> but uh-huh. anyway. The, it, it hit the car, and it really uh, did some body damage to it, but the car still worked. So I, I contacted the insurance company, and they said, uh, we'll take it to the body shop and see what it costs to repair it. And the cost to repair it was more than the value of the mm-hmm. car. And they said, so we're going to buy the car from you. And I said, no, you're not. You, this car still works. Come on, this is the Jay Bear car. <laughs> and uh, I had, you know, I'm not sure that that made any sense to them, but they said, okay, 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 Mr. Brett, that's fine. We'll keep the car and we'll insure it, but we'll send you a couple thousand dollars to, um, you know, in case you want to get some of the, the work done on it. And I'm not going to have any work done on it. I, I spent that money on tequila. Yes. Well done. I just want everybody to know it's a 2003 Toyota Camry with 205,000 miles on it. And my wife refuses to go anywhere in it. Uh, she's a beaut. My wife out of the car. <laughs> right. So she, I, I say, you want to go? And she's like, well, I don't think she ter- thinks it's a terribly safe car at this point. But also, I think she just doesn't like 
people seeing her in that car. <laughs> I don't know. So anyway, let's talk about the book. It is, gosh, probably the smallest book I've ever had on the show. It's uh, three and a half by five inches. When you're the host of the Marketing Book Podcast, you you know, you, you, you measure these things. You, you go into sure. great detail. It's only 69 pages, and it comes in a box that includes two additional copies of the book. Mm-hmm. So explain why you did that. Well, the premise of the book is that we care about time more than ever. And there's lots of research in the book, as is true for all of my work, that demonstrates that consumers will reward businesses who respect their time. And I sat down to write my seventh book, and I was going to do it in the traditional way as I have in the past. And I thought, no, I can't. I cannot ask you to spend five or six hours to read a business book about time and speed. It is literally contradictory to the advice that I have. (laughs) So I said, I'm going to write a very short book that has all the key salient information, how-tos, case studies, advice, stories, and I'm just going to remove all of the filling. It's bread and meat. That is what this book is. <laughs> and so far, my friend, people really, really love it. And and people say, you know what? It's exactly what I want because, as you well know, most people don't really read business books. You do. They skim them, and that's okay. Everybody's busy. So I said, well, I'm, you're not going to be able to skim this one. You're going to have to read it because <laughs> it's, it's so short. Uh, it is, in fact, readable. But uh, it's actually – it's really a great experience, uh, experiment, and I had no idea what was going to happen, and so far, so good. And the reason we're selling the three packs now at jbearbook.com is that because it's so so small, it's it's uh, it's hard to ship one at a time. The unit economics get kind of messed up on the shipping. But the thesis is it's so small and it's so portable. You can put it in a short pocket easily. The idea is one book for you, one book for a colleague, and then one book to hold in reserve to then give to a company when they disappoint you because they are too slow. So I might not send a copy of the book when a company is too slow because – I think you're only printing 950 boxes of these. <laughs> yeah, <that's, laughs> of these, yeah. Yeah. So, but I will be emailing quite often the 29 page consumer patient study. Thank you. And the eight infographics <laughs> that are on your website, thetimetowin.com. And I'm going to include a link to uh, all of that on this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com for folks to find a quick. You can also get on Kindle if you like. Selling oh, lots okay. of Kindle. Selling lots of Kindle copies. Okay. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Thanks for mentioning that. So, Jay, not that I always time myself, but it took me 51 minutes to read this book. Yeah. That's what I figured. Under an hour. I'm a maybe a slower reader. And in all honesty, I was making notes while I was reading it, and which is primarily um, writing stupid little jokes to myself uh, <laughs> as I read it. It's how I amuse myself. And uh, of course, you know, you write very amusing books. Now, just one other thing for the listener. To more fully experience this book and this interview, you might want to play this episode at a faster speed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> really get the gist of it. Right. Try it out. Try it out. So let me quickly, qu- quickly get it. Let me uh, read from the intro on page two. Sure. You write, through my work as a consultant and speaker, plus my continuous research into customer expectations and behaviors, I consistently discover new levers that businesses and organizations can use to gain a competitive advantage. I'm not a futurist. I'm not addicted to innovation for innovation's sake. I'll never tell you to do something that will require you to upend your existing organization. 
If I wouldn't do it in my business, why would I ask you to do it in yours? Instead, I take what you're probably already doing today and I figure out where you can win by changing your emphasis. Doing more or getting better at what you already have and what your competitors are likely ignoring is key. In the past, I've recommended you take advantage of levers like social media, content marketing, empathy and customer service, and word of mouth. Now, my work and my research has shown me quite clearly that one of the very best ways you can lead in your category is by understanding the critical relationship between responsiveness and revenue. Jay, tell us about the research you fielded for this book. I'll tell you what the genesis of this whole project was, Douglas. Coming out of the pandemic, I kept reading about all these business trends. The great resignation, quiet quitting, people wanting to work from home, not wanting to commute, leisure travel, which is the combination of business and leisure travel. You heard this one where people bring their kids to the conference and they double dip the trip. Oh, I even, didn't, I didn't even, know that one. Yeah, that's a whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, even Major League Baseball has a pitch clock now, and the games are 26 minutes shorter per night. Thankfully. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt. All of these trends, my hypothesis was, are the same trend which is that we care about our time and how we spend it more than ever. And some of that's pandemic-related, I think. But as always, I don't write a book until I validate it. And so I did the research, and it's a very comprehensive research study. You alluded to it. It's called the Consumer Patients Study. And it's university-level, very expensive, very comprehensive. And we found that, indeed, it is true. We do care about our time more than ever. And two-thirds of customers say that speed – is now as important as price. And certainly throughout all of my work, I've talked about speed at some level. It's always been important. It's probably important to everybody's business, but it's not the most important thing in your business. And now for your customers, it is becoming, if not the most important thing, certainly more important than it used to be. And most businesses haven't reacted accordingly. So that's why the book is called The Time to Win, because you have an opportunity right now in your business. I think you've got about a 24-month head start to embrace responsiveness as a key business attribute. And if you do that, you will have a distinct advantage over your competition because your competition will not do it. They They think they are fast enough, and they're not, and you can be, and your customers will reward you accordingly. Jay, if I, I may not recall this correctly, but when you started to write Hug Your Haters, mm-hmm. you, did you start out with the premise that it was all about speed? Yeah. No, I'm so glad you you remember that. So, yes, the, the, the Hug Your Haters was going to essentially be this book. Mm-hmm. And I did the research then and discovered that speed was not the most important thing at that point. It was just getting a response at all. literally that was what the data said people didn't care about people didn't care about how fast they got a response they just craved a response at all from a company and that's why the the core thesis of hug your haters is to respond to every customer in every channel every time the 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 response period was the advice in that book and now it's been let's see five eight eight years later if i recall correctly we it's not the exact same survey but i said okay now the pandemic has been sort of the the um the, the, the ignition switch for, for now, finally, we do care about our own time. We realize that time is the only inelastic resource. We realize that each of us only has 1,400 and 
40 minutes a day and you can't buy any more. All of those things have kind of fallen down on our shoulders. And now speed and time and responsiveness is the most important thing. So so I thought it might have been, you know, almost a decade ago and it wasn't. And, and now eventually uh, it is proven to be true. Right. And the thing that I admired about that book is that you started out with one premise, you did research and you said, ah, that's not it. So, you know, very, uh, showed a lot of humility, but also honesty. And I, I appreciated that. So Jay, there are a number of non-marketers who listen to the show, CEOs, CFOs, salespeople, and they love the word revenue. So mm-hmm. let's jump right into it. How does responsiveness lead to revenue? I'm almost wondering if some folks didn't even connect the two. There's a few different ways. Let's let's take them in in sequence. Fundamentally, if you are the first responder and not in a crisis situation but in a business situation, you will be rewarded with more customers. To wit, 50%, half of all customers will hire whomever contacts them first regardless of price. Right. Talk about the painter that you Yeah. Hired. So so uh, I, I got this house painted, the house I'm sitting in right now, and I got three bids, as you do. And the first painter got back to me in like four hours or so and said, Jay, I can't, can't paint the house today. I, I certainly can't even give you a quote today. But based on what you told me, here's kind of sort of what I think it might cost. And here's when I can come give you a firm estimate. Second painter got back to me in in two days just to kind of set up an appointment. Third painter got back to me in 11 days, <laughs> at, at which point the house had already been painted. So <laughs> that was a little too slow. And now I hired the first one, and they weren't the least expensive. In fact, the most expensive of the three, but I didn't care because, again, two and three customers say that speed is as important as price. And, and why why are we at this inflection point in society? It's because now – We interpret speed as caring. We interpret responsiveness as respect. When somebody gets back to us more quickly, what we think that means is that they care about us, our money, our livelihood, and our happiness more. And those are the people with whom we want to do business. So the other two painters, what's going through the minds of the second and third painters to respond to your inquiry? Who didn't get the job? And why why do you think… They think they lost. <laughs> it's, oh, uh, it's like a downward spiral. It is. You, you corkscrew yourself right into the ground. I talk about this on stage a lot when I, when I uh, uh, talk about uh, the time to win. Painter two and painter three, who didn't get the business, will assume that they lost on price. We always tell ourselves it's price because that's an easy story for us to digest as business leaders, as business owners, as business managers, to say, oh, well, they're not a better business. They're just willing to do it for less. They're just hungrier or they're they're foolish that they do it that inexpensively. We always convince ourselves it's price because it's a much more difficult story to accept for yourself to admit the truth, which is they're just they just run a better business. They are able to respond more quickly because they have their act together more on the back end. So you think it's price. So the next time there's a painting situation, what do you do? Well, they, they, they drop your price. Drop their price. Yes. They drop your price, right? Again, beat up on price. Yeah. And and guess what? You still don't get hired because you're not any faster. You're just cheaper. So now you're like, wow, I'm a little flummoxed about this. Next time there's a competitive painting situation, you drop your price again and you still don't get hired because you're still not any faster. You're just less expensive. Now you're over the moon. You're like, I can't believe what Larry must be willing to paint houses for in this town. I don't know what he's thinking. This is amazing. Fourth competitive bid. You drop your price again, and then 
And only then do you actually get hired because for every customer in every category, in every situation, in every country of the world, every single person has a tipping point where you say to yourself, you know what? This is probably going to be a terrible business relationship. It took them 11 days to even respond to my initial voicemail. How long is it going to take them to get back to me once I've already paid them? But I got to tell you, they're so much less expensive than the others. I'm just going to roll the dice. (laughs) But at that point, you have given away all of your margin in your business. And you can't figure out why. Because, and this is the insidious part that I really want people to pay attention to. When you lose business because of responsiveness, it is almost always invisible. Yes. There is no spreadsheet. There's no report. There's no Google Analytics 4 that you can press button and say, how much money did we not get because we weren't as fast as the competition? There is no evidence of it. And that's why it is so dangerous. You're much better off knowing that half of all customers will hire whomever contacts them first, regardless of price. Just find a way to be first. That's my first piece of advice. And you will be delighted. Trust me, you'll make your money back on the book if you just do that. Okay, Jay Bear, you write that speed is important, but that you should not be too fast. Yes. Let's talk about burritos. Yeah, I tell you, when I'm, when I'm talking about this, especially on stage, I, I kind of have a halftime where I'm like, all right, I, let's just take a beat here. I want to make sure that you don't think that my advice is to just be as fast as possible all the time. Now, you should probably be faster than you are much of the time. But my advice is not just to be as fast as possible always because speed at all costs actually costs. You don't want to go to the fastest tattoo artist in Virginia Beach. (laughs) It's just a bad idea, right? Not again anyway. Not yet, exactly. Yeah, you learned that lesson the hard way. So I went to a Mexican food restaurant here in Indiana, which in and of itself is a questionable decision. Uh, Not not home of the authentic Latino cuisine typically. Right, and it must be torture for you with your background in Arizona. (laughs) It's true. You know. When I travel, I go to so many Mexican food places because it's not great here. But, you know, sometimes you got to do what you got to do. So I go and I got, I actually got chicken enchiladas and I ordered chicken enchiladas and they brought it to me. I'm not kidding. In 90 seconds, like I, it was, they just manifested it in front of me. And, and I was like, wow. And then I'm like, wait a second. Do they have an enchilada machine? Uh, you know, is this like a vending machine situation? Do they have a psychic? So they know. Predictive analytics, order? Jay. They saw you walking in. That guy looks like an enchilada guy. Uh, It was really confusing. So much so that it frayed my trust in the enchiladas. And the same thing can happen in your business. When you are too fast, people lose trust. And I'll give you an example. I don't even think this is in the book. So – you know the uh, software company Drift that, that runs a lot of the chatbots? They power a lot of the chatbots and a lot of the big websites out there. Drift actually programs in an intentional delay in their chatbot response because it's all AI. So when you type in a question into a chatbot and you hit submit, that software can respond to you literally in the blink of an eye, instantaneously. But when they do that... People are like, I don't know. That's a robot. That was pretty fast. They weren't even considering my question. So what Drift does is they put in the three-second fake delay with the like animated ellipsis, like some magic entity is thinking, 
And then they give you the response, and then everybody's like, oh, okay, that's fine. Now I get it. Amazing, right? So you, you can be too fast. So what you want, cert- certainly not too slow, and also not too fast. So what you want is the perfect amount of elapsed time in every customer interaction. And I call that perfect amount of time the right now. Mm-hmm. The right now is the perfect amount. It's like the Goldilocks zone for responsiveness. <laughs> All right. I'm a grumpy old man. I don't like everything the way it is now compared to the way it used to be. So, Jay Bear, how does age impact the right now? It was interesting. In the research, we asked about levels of patience and how long you expect responses from businesses to take based on your age and your gender and even which channel you use to communicate. If you call a business versus email versus send a hostage note, et cetera. And it was fascinating. One of the things I really did not see coming in the research is this. The most patient generation of all, Gen Z, those kids, and that Kind of shocked me because I have two Gen Zs, (laughs) and the words that I use to describe them is typically not, oh, they're the most patient. Well, maybe not with their parents. Yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe it's it's more the other (laughs) side of the equation. But it was interesting because I think it's – I think – I don't know. We didn't ask it this way. I think it's because – on the whole, Gen Z cohort have fewer leases on their time. They they may not have kids. They may not have as demanding of a job yet. They may not have as many extracurricular activities or responsibilities, et cetera. And and so they're willing to give business a little more grace in terms of response. Conversely, the least patient generation, baby boomers. (laughs) Now, is this because baby boomers have less time left? Yes. I mean, I mean, I don't know. It sounds a little modern. No, I can but confirm the, that. I'm a baby yeah, boomer. Yeah, I can let you yeah. know. Time, it, it, our, our time is limited. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, you know, the, as a researcher, the math adds up on that. Uh, so, But I find it interesting because in my own consulting career, I have had a number of clients who who – primarily serve a boomer plus kind of great generation audience. And I've literally been in conference rooms in my career where somebody says something like this. Well, our our customers and clients are primarily older. They're 65 plus, et cetera. So we don't have to be very responsive because they're all retired. They got plenty of time. And it turns out the exact opposite. We still have rotary dial phones. Yeah. Right. right. (laughs) So you got to be careful. You got to check your assumptions at the door. Uh, about speed and response for this. That reminds me of President George H.W. Bush. After he was president, a aircraft carrier was going to be named after him, and he was still alive. And he went to where they were laying the keel, and they asked him to say a few words. And he said, you know, to the U.S. Navy and to all the good folks here building this aircraft carrier, hurry up. (laughs) (laughs) Because he wanted to see it while he was still alive. So... Now, one other thing I want to mention is men are also significantly less sympathetic than women Mm. when it comes to uh, post-pandemic response times, and I can, you know, I can explain why, Jay Bear. It's because men die younger than women. Sure, you got you got you got fewer minutes. Yeah, and there's good reasons why women outlive us. They, you know, they make a lot better uh, life choices. The men just have less time. Okay, yeah, could be. So. There are a lot of situations where we interact with customers or uh, 
prospective customers, we can't be super fast to all of them. I'm quoting from the book, and I know a lot of mm-hmm. people are thinking that, especially mm-hmm. business owners. Let's talk about where does speed matter the most? It was one of the things that also surprised us in the research. I, and what we, the way we structured this is we went through uh, many, many different pieces of the customer journey. So when you need information, when you need a price, when you need to pay a bill, when you need to get help with a question, when you need to set up a delivery, et cetera. And, and we asked uh, the survey participants how critical speed and responsiveness was at, at each of those nodes. The right answer is that speed is always important. There is, n- there is literally no customer interaction where it's not important. Where it is most important are, are in two places. One, if you have a problem, right? If something is not working, if the thing is broken, if you're trapped in an elevator, right? If any, anything where you have uh, an unexpected negative turn of events, speed becomes very, very important. The second area where it's even more egregiously important to consumers is when they have to put something on their schedule. So we have to set up an appointment for delivery. We have to set up an appointment to review the foundation of the home or whatever. Anytime we've got to coordinate schedules between customer and company, that that sort of coordination process, people really want to get that over with because otherwise it's an, it's an open-ended loop on their own calendar, and that's very frustrating and anxiety-producing. So let's jump to the uh, six-part framework before we wrap up this quick yeah. interview. Yeah. Number one, you got the catchiest names for these things. What is the got it audit? It's really the foundation to this entire approach because we talked a moment ago about the right now, the optimal amount of elapsed time in every customer interaction. Well, if if the idealized state is to deliver the right now all the way through your, your customer's journey, and the right now is defined as just slightly faster than customers expect – if that's what you're looking for, you got to know what it is that you're offering today in each of your customer interaction points. And that sounds really obvious, but it's crazy. I talk to business leaders all the time and say, hey, how long does it take to uh, get a, a sofa delivered? And they'll say, well, Jay, it depends. Sometimes it's two days. If it's over the weekend, it'll be four. But if Larry's out of town, it could be five. If everything goes perfectly and they're close to the office, it could be a day and a half. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That is not math. That is a collection of anecdotes. Like you can't optimize your business around responsiveness just based on on storytelling. So you've got to actually do the analysis and figure this out and like actually say, okay, what's the median? What's the mean? So that really is a foundational crucial element that frankly everybody should be doing. Yes, and it brings to mind the Peter Drucker quote, what gets measured gets managed. And it's so true. You just 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 figure it out and do it without judgment. Don't be yelling at your employees, but just start tracking the data, and it could turn into a little bit of a game. It seems. Oh, we actually we could you know we could we could shave that down. We could we could custom we could uh, sort of uh, automate that. So number one is just figure out how long these things take, and I, that just seems like it's such a great way that you've snuck in getting in touch with your customers because this might <laughs> require doing some mystery shopping. Absolutely. So take the customer's point of view. So number two is answer before they ask mm-hmm. and explain what you mean when you, you say stop playing hide and seek with your answers. Well, you, you know, you've had Marcus Sheridan on the show, I believe. Yes, and, and and that, some... that certainly came to mind when I was reading yeah, that. Yeah, it's a similar premise and it actually goes all the way back to what I wrote about in my book, Utility. 
And Marcus Sheridan wrote the forward to that, as I recall. He did. He did indeed. You see, and when the, you're the Marketing Book Podcast host, yeah, you know all the trivia. The family tree. The family tree. <laughs> I ask people to do this in workshop versions of the Time to Win program. I say, hey, I mean, why don't you uh, grab a piece of paper and write down the 25 questions that your customers have most often about your business? Yes. And everybody in the room can do it off the top of their head. Mm-hmm. And I say, cool. Take a look at your list. Consider it. Mull. Ponder. And then tell me how many of those questions customers can get answered without talking to anybody in your organization. They don't got a call. They don't have to email. They don't have to use a chat bot. It's just right there. They, it's just obvious. It's on the website, whatever. Average number, six. Six is average across the groups I've worked with. To which I say, what about the other 19? If you have just stipulated that you know for a fact, the ear customers need to know this information. Why are you requiring them to call, email, chatbot, text, what have you, to access this information? Whatever you think you're doing in the era, and I'm going to use air quotes here, of frequently asked questions in whatever form, fashion, you can make your own self-serve information. Whatever you think you're doing there, I can tell you definitively, it is not enough. And if you want to change how fast people think you are, this has nothing to do with actual speed, by the way. Mm -hmm. It's about perception of responsiveness. The fastest you can possibly be is somebody being able to get what they need without asking you for it. So that's one of the things that we talk about in the book. Great story about Dr. Glenn Gorab, an oral surgeon in uh, Clifton, New Jersey. And you write that there's about 435 oral surgeons there. And then I had to chuckle. In fact, I wrote ha, exclamation point off to the side. These are one of the many important notes I make when I'm writing. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad I've solicited a ha. That's good. You wrote, they all perform essentially the same services for approximately the same price. Nobody has a special tooth laser, and there aren't a lot of budget-focused save-on-mouth surgery providers. And that's save, S-A-V. <laughs> yeah, that's how you'd spell it on the sign, of yeah, course. Yeah, we, we, we knocked the last E off for savings. Oh, yeah. yeah, because uh, most of it's covered by insurance. So given that... Uh, and, and this is particularly for everyone listening who, as Marcus Sheridan will often joke and, and say, yeah, Douglas, that's great, but we're different. <laughs> Talk about what Dr. Right. Gorab does. Yeah, everybody thinks they have a secret sauce uh, until they taste somebody else's sauce, and they're like, oh, wait, that's the same sauce. Um, so what Glenn does is he calls a list of people every Saturday morning. Just from his regular cell phone. He's hanging out at home. Hey, this is, uh, this is Dr. Gorab, and I understand that you're coming to the office for the first time next week. Before you get here for your surgery, do you have any questions that I uh, might be able to answer for you? And people are blown away. You're just sitting yes. there watching college football. You get a call from an oral surgeon saying, hey, I know you're coming in for a root canal on Wednesday. Uh, can I answer questions now? People can't believe it. And it has a huge impact on his business. Three in four patients mention this call when they're in the chair. He's literally hand in their mouth like, oh, thanks so much for calling me, doc. And people contact his office every day and say, I got to drive way out of my way. I got to pass up five other oral surgeons that are closer to my house. But I want you to be my doctor because you're the one who called my friend Douglas before he ever came to the office. It's such an easy but powerful technique because if you're going in for an oral surgery of any kind, of any flavor, of any description, you've got some questions. Right. And instead of making them carry those questions with them to the appointment in some sort of knapsack of worry, what Glenn does is takes all that pain 
away well in advance. Now, does that mean they're any more responsive? No. But the perception of responsiveness is extraordinary because, again, predictive, proactive information is quite literally as fast as you can be. I bet he doesn't get that many questions, but almost everyone says, I can't believe you called me. Exactly. No, I've, I've had many conversations with him about this. He says he occasionally gets questions. People don't know what to ask. They're like, I can't even believe they're just so, so flabbergasted, right? Uh, but so it's, yeah, it's not necessarily in that case about the actual information conveyance, but it sets such an important tone for the relationship. And, and I can't remember if I have this in the book or not, but the, the fact of the matter is last time I talked to him um, – of all 435 oral surgeons in his region, he was the only one who has never been sued, and he's 65 years old. Mm. It's a very litigious form of medicine. And I asked him, I said, well, you must be the best doctor around. He's like, no, I'm not at all the best doctor. He said, but I have the best relationship with my patients, and this is one of the reasons why. Yes. And that was the second, for the listener's benefit, that was the second thing Jay mentioned that's not in the book. So what I'm saying is, that's a marketing book podcast extra, and I hope you all appreciate <laughs> that Jay is over-delivering once again. Well, you know, and, and we've talked about this, I think, in previous episodes that I've been on. I, I do this a little differently. So I will do the research, and then I'll write a keynote speech, and then I'll do that speech 40 times. And it's different every time because I'm trying on different stories like you'd try on different pants. And then I write the book. And so I, I every time I'm on your show, I always struggle to remember what do I say holding a mic? microphone and what did I say on a keyboard? And to me, it's it's all kind of one big booyah base of stories. So. That's fine. And actually, now that you've opened that can of worms, you have been mentioned on this podcast so many times. And in fact, quite recently, when I interviewed your friend, Scott McCain, oh. and I was talking about how whenever I get a book from someone who, amongst other things, is also a professional speaker, not to mention a member of the Hall of Fame like you and Scott Stratton and Scott McCain and, and many others, I know it's going to be a good book. And not that you remember this, Jay Bear, but I ran into you in a bar in Cleveland once. I think it was a content marketing world. I don't know. I go to Cleveland. No, I'm kidding. But, <laughs> and I said, Jay, you know, I think I'm on to something. I, I, you know, I just interviewed Joey Coleman and all these people. I said, what is it about the professional speakers that makes them write such great books? And you said, oh, I don't write a book until I've given it the talk a lot of times, sort of like the comedians that are working on their material for almost their whole careers. Absolutely. So there you go. Yeah, most people do it the opposite, right? So they write a book, <laughs> and then they write a speech based on the book. Yes, yes. So let's jump ahead. Number three, respond without answers. And oh. I want to quote from page 46, and it's only because this one paragraph I could have sworn was written by Mark Schaefer. You write, our current home has a pond in the backyard, mm -hmm. or maybe it's a fountain. It's weird. It's some kind of pond slash fountain hybrid. It's a fountain, I suppose. <laughs> that is, that is Schaefer-esque. I appreciate yes. that. Yeah, and he is a man of water, so I appreciate that. So explain how the story, the story of the fountain as it relates to responding yeah. without answers. Well, and I've been using this now for about two and a half years, not just in business, and I use it every day in business, but also in my personal life with my wife and my kids and my friends and my mailman. It, it really is uh, an important technique that I think everybody can and should follow, not just uh, bring it back to your company, but, but even just day to day in your own life. And it's this idea that when, when, you, when you have a question, 
The most important thing is not necessarily to get the question answered. It's to know that the question will be answered. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times what happens is you ask somebody, if somebody asks you a question and you don't immediately know the answer, what do you do? You, you, you kind of flag it in your email or whatever, and then when you get to it, you go procure the information necessary. You go look it up. You ask Julie in accounting, whatever the circumstances may be. And then once you have procured the answer, you say, here is the information that you need. The problem with that is the entire time that you're looking it up, asking Julie, whatever, the person who inquired is steadily freaking out more and more. We all have felt this. You send somebody an email today. If you don't get a response in two days at most, you start to think, huh, do I somehow have Douglas's email wrong? Is he on vacation but didn't set an out of office? Does Douglas not like me? Does he refuse to have me on the show again? <laughs> right? You start, to, you start to play these mental games with yourself, right? And so the better way to do it is to, when you get a question, you say, thank you, great question, so good in fact, I don't know the answer. I'm going to have to figure it out and then I'll get back to you. And this happened to me with the fountain, which I'm actually looking at right now. The uh, pond fountain hybrid. Uh, we 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 moved into this house, and it is really kind of half pond, half fountain. It's very confusing, and I don't know nothing about ponds or fountains, and and so I needed to get this set up and figure out how to you know take care of it. And so I called around, and and I got out in touch of a guy uh, nearby who who works on. He's like the pond man, and and he kind of did what the one painter did. He said, "Hey, uh, I I I can't come out today. I I can't even." you know, tell you what your deal is. But here are some things that I think you should look up for, uh, sort of baseline information. And here's when I can come. Let's set up the appointment. And that was all I needed to essentially take it off of my mental to-do list. And he said, here's what it costs for me to for yeah. the first consult. Yeah. So I sort of knew what the deal was, right? Oh. So he took it off of my mental to-do list and put it on his mental to-do list. And that's what you want to do with your customers. If they ask a question, you say, got it. And as soon as you say, got it, it changes their perception of your responsiveness dramatically. So I've been teaching companies now this whole year, this technique of everybody in your organization, not just first line customer service people, but second, third, fourth, fifth level support, SMEs, thought leaders, experts, executives, anytime they get a query and they get tons of queries inside and outside the company, all you say is, got it, I'll get back to you. Huge impact. You've stopped the shot clock. That's it. That's exactly right. You, you stop people from freaking out. <laughs> right. So let's jump to four, set speed expectations. And this one well, seems like magic, but explain what you mean when you write that managing expectations for speed is more important than the, the raw speed itself. Yeah. You remember we talked about the right now a minute ago and this idea that the right now is slightly faster than customers expect. Well, in order to make that happen, you have to know what they expect. And the reality is unless you tell customers what is an appropriate expectation, their expectation will be instant. <laughs> it will happen instantly. This is the world in which we live. Mm -hmm. Everything is supposed to be you know, delivered in a day. It happens without delay. They have no idea why it would take longer than that, even though you're handcrafting it from a piece of you know, uh, basalt that you have to truck in from South Africa or whatever your deal is. They got no idea. They're like, how come I can't get this tomorrow? So one of the best things you can do in a business is to not only at the very top of the funnel, but all the way through the funnel – 
be constantly communicating to the customer, here's how long this is going to take. And importantly, why? Mm. Mm -hmm. Especially for younger consumers. I think you've probably talked about this on the show in the past that Gen Z in particular do not take information at face value. If you tell them a thing, they will ask why. And so you might as well head that off at the pass and say, it will take three weeks to do whatever it is that we are selling you. Here's why. Mm. Yes. If you if you, the customers know the if they know the score, if they know what to expect, then they don't get antsy, at least not as antsy. So it, it that sounds patently obvious. Much of my work in for 30 years sounds really obvious until you grab yourself a beer and read the book again and say, "Oh, all the things that he asked me to do that I thought were obvious, we're not actually doing in my company." So maybe it ain't as obvious as you thought. Yes. So number 5 is close uncertainty gaps and you talk about expectations are the most important aspect of responsiveness, sort of sort of related to number four. Yep, absolutely. The two things that customers hate the most now, being disrespected in the area of time and living in an information asymmetry. When – the way I describe an uncertainty gap, it's when you know more about what's going on than your customer knows. And – and this isn't in the book, but I I realize now, for many, many years, as you know, I, I owned a um, well-regarded uh, global consulting firm that helped big companies with, with strategy. And I realize now how bad I was at this idea of uncertainty gap because big companies would pay us an enormous amount of money to create a digital marketing customer experience strategy for them. And we'd say, okay, thanks for the money. Um, this is going to take 75 days. And my team and I – would go into our metaphorical workshop and we would build out a strategy. Now, we had a very detailed project plan every day. You do this, you do this to, to make sure that we hit the deliverables on time. And the work was great. Massively satisfied customers. Company did really well, et cetera, et cetera. However, all of that detail about what we were doing and when it was due, we never gave that to any of the clients. So I realize now that they were just going on blind faith because mm. they're like, mm. hey, we wrote these guys this big check to allegedly do strategy. Are they doing strategy? What exactly is happening? When are we going to get this? Do they take the money and go to Barbados? Like if I had to do it again now, I would be much more proactive about making sure that customers knew exactly where things were at all times. And in our world now – we are in an era not only where we interpret speed as caring, but we're in an era where uncertainty gaps are largely being closed by technology and circumstance. So you and I are very much uh, old enough to remember when you couldn't use an app to get transportation. You would have to call a taxi. And so we'd use a phone, maybe even a pay phone back in the day with a quarter in the real old days, a dime. And you would call and you goes like two, 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 two. And they're like, this is Lou. Uh, uh, yeah, I need to get to the airport. Okay, he'll be by to get you. Click. And that's all the information you had. Like, when's he coming? Don't know. What's it going to cost? No idea. Which taxi is my taxi? Won't tell you. All you were allowed to know was that a man named Lou said, he'll be by to get you. That was it. And now with it, with an app with Lyft, you know, the guy's license plate, headshot, blood type. You got like a five generation ancestry.com printout on this guy to the penny, how much it's going to cost you to the minute when he's coming, you've got an animated icon of the car and you can watch him. You'd be like, don't turn left. Sure, man. It's a one way, right? You're coaching him along the way. There's no uncertainty in transportation. 
And this is the world that your customers inhabit. So I guarantee you, friends, pause this show and think about all the places in your service or product delivery where you know more than your customers and try to even out that imbalance and their perception of your responsiveness will go through the roof. Great advice. So let's jump to number six. Offer a fast pass. So for folks outside the United States who may not be familiar with this, TSA PreCheck is a government-sponsored program in the U.S. that provides expedited security screening for passengers before boarding a plane. And you write that TSA PreCheck is a fast pass. You mm-hmm. pay more, you wait less. The thing I really hate about TSA PreCheck, though, is that I don't get frisked anymore. I know. It felt like, please, somebody, I need human companionship. I, I know. That was the one thing I, I looked forward I know. to. So I know. explain why people, probably more than folks realize, are willing to pay more not to wait. Well, as we talked about, people care about speed as much as price, sometimes more. And we actually tested this in the research and found that one in four customers will pay as much as 50% more to not wait. And you should give them that opportunity. Take their money. The money's out there. You pick it up. It's yours. You don't. I got no sympathy for you. Yeah, and it doesn't matter if you're a chiropractor, a preschool, a house painter, a podcast host, a tequila reviewer, whatever business you're in, if somebody says, man, can we do it any faster? You say, we sure can for this price. And all you have to do, it doesn't cost you anything to offer a fast pass. All you have to do is take whoever was first on your queue and you make them second. That's it. And you reap additional margin accordingly. It happened to me. I was at Caesars Palace, uh, the casino hotel in Las Vegas recently. And just to be clear, when you are in Vegas, you sleep on Scott McCain's couch, right? <laughs> Sometimes I do. Sometimes I do. Uh, but we certainly will be found at, uh, at fine steakhouses uh, throughout Las Vegas. <laughs> Asleep. <laughs> Asleep, yep. So I went to Caesars and they said, uh, hey, it's 2.30. It's, uh, Check-in time is 4. You can come back at 4 And we'll give you your keys to your room and and please lose as much money as you can in the casino until then. But this time they said, it's 2.30, check-in time's at 4. However, if you'd like to give us 30 additional dollars right now, we would be able to give you your keys. Would you like to do that? And I said, yes, I would. Off a national flight and I knew I'd lose more than $30 in 90 minutes for sure. (laughs) So it was a no-brainer You were saving money. I was saving money, literally. So that is offering a fast pass. Now, I, I had a, a gentleman in one of my audiences recently say, well, Jay, yeah, but but what about, you know, if you have to bump who was number one down to number two, if you bump number two down to number three, like what if they get all mad about it? So here is my technique. You charge 20% more to put somebody at the top of your queue. And then the second person you say, I've got good news and bad news. Bad news is it's going to take an extra week beyond what I told you. The good news is we're giving you a 5% discount. Mm. So you keep 15% for doing nothing other than shuffling your customer sequence. And that is another marketing book podcast extra. Jay. There you go. It's too generous. So if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? At all times in business, there is something that you can do that your competition will not or has not yet. 
my whole career is figuring out what that is at any moment in time and giving you counsel to press that advantage until that advantage is closed by your competitors. Right now is the time to win. It is your opportunity, and I think you've got 24 to 30 months to use responsiveness as your secret competitive advantage. In three years, we should delete this podcast because it will be ridiculous. <laughs> it will sound like we're doing a podcast on butter churning. Right. Because every business will already do this. They will not have a choice. Their customers will force them to make responsiveness a key priority. But we're not there yet. Customers haven't gotten to the point where they're going to force you to do it. Now you can do it proactively. Your competition probably won't because they think they are being fast enough. And if you do it now, you can reap the rewards for that two, two and a half years. And I really hope that you do. It's funny. I hear from listeners and they mention that they start binge listening to all the different uh, interviews I've done. And I always say, well, start with the newer ones and work your way back. Like to number two with uh, Jay Bear in, in 2015. Yeah. Although I, I would say that book is just as relevant now as it was then, if not more so. Well, and that's where I'm going because I have interviewed some authors over the year who have written about a topic, like revenue marketing, for instance. And they've said, you know, I thought after about three years, I wouldn't have to explain this anymore, but I, I'm going to be explaining this for the rest of my career. I think that's going to be the case with you, Jay. I think you're being too generous saying that this is not going to be necessary in three years. Well, I think it will still be an important premise that speed can be a key competitive advantage, but I think it will be accepted wisdom that customers care about time and being respected and and equating time with caring. I think that will be pretty conventional. Whether you do something about it or not, yeah, who knows. When I interviewed Joey recently about his book, Never Lose an Employee Again. Such a good book, by the way, friends. If you haven't had a chance to read Joey's book, I highly, highly recommend it. Absolutely. I, I commented at the end. I said, you know, Joey, these are really powerful ideas you have, and they don't seem like they're going to really cost a whole lot. The same applies to your book, I think. I would completely agree, and I did that on purpose. You know, as somebody who has run a lot of companies uh, of my own, as you mentioned in my introduction, I'm not going to ask you to do something that I wouldn't do. I'm, I, I, you know, I'm not foolish enough to say, yeah. And if you buy this massively expensive software package, all your pain goes away. This is not about uh, transforming your business. This is about changing your areas of emphasis. Yes. And I'm not suggesting that it's free, but I am suggesting that it's probably just a matter of reallocation. And I hope that that makes it something that more and more and more uh, smart business leaders will actually put into practice. Yes. It didn't occur to me that you had to reorganize your company. You didn't have to hire new employees. It's just a few. It's like changing your golf grip and having a dramatically better game. <laughs> yeah. That's the idea. Yeah. So let's give the listener one thing to do today as soon as they finish listening to this, just to put in action one of the ideas from your book to get them started down this road, get the boulder rolling down the hill. Yeah. I would say. The first one I would do because it's the easiest one to implement, you could literally implement it in one second, is the idea of of replying without answers, right? That when somebody asks a question and you don't know the answer, you just say, thanks for the question, I'll get back to you. 
that idea of replying twice, but the first one is just, I got it. I would start on that now because you could literally put it into practice instantaneously with no precursors or or really uh, no preconditions and, and start there. The second one I would tackle because it really is foundational, but will take a little longer to do is the got it audit to yes. figure out exactly how long it takes you to do the stuff. Yes. Great advice. Great advice. Are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or looking forward to reading? I don't know how how uh, recent we would call it, but I, I saw him do a keynote version of this book recently, uh, and it just reminded me how exceptional he is and the book is. Uh, our friend Jesse Cole's book, Fans First, is is so great, and it's, it's right along the, the lines of what I talked about in my previous book, Talk Triggers, but I just really love that book, and I love Jesse, and obviously it's awesome to see what he's doing with the Savannah Bananas blowing up. Yes, and I've had the honor of interviewing him twice, and I'll include a link to that interview at this episode's website page at marketinggreatpodcast.com. And also, I am delighted, and I think this gentleman is going to be on the show soon. I, I am the author of the foreword of a terrific uh, forthcoming book from Steve Woodruff called The Point, which is all about how to win with communications that have additional clarity. It's actually a really nice companion uh, for the time to win because I talk a lot about communicating uh, more to customers and closing the uncertainty gap, et cetera. And Steve's book will tell you how to do that without actually confusing your customers, which is uh, probably a good idea. Right. And back to the Marketing Book Podcast trivia game, if I'm not mistaken, his son is a bourbon influencer. That's true. Yep. A lot of really unimportant trivia that's clogging up my mental hard drive. I don't. <laughs> you need to write this down somewhere. Yeah, I don't remember all the important things from all these uh, fantastic books I get to read. Well, at marketingbookpodcast.com, we'll include links to everything linkable, including all the books that have been mentioned, your site, uh, including the site with all the, the research and all the infographics. They're fantastic. Your LinkedIn profile, Twitter account, and so forth. Listen, folks. Please do me a big favor, reach out in some way to Jay and congratulate him on this book. Thank him for coming back to be a guest on the Marketing Book Podcast, putting his professional reputation at risk a fourth time. Guests on the show have told me that they really do enjoy hearing from Marketing Book Podcast listeners, particularly uh, when they have a question for uh, the author. And if you're listening on your smartphone, you've subscribed to the Marketing Book Podcast on your favorite podcast app, like Apple Podcasts, all these links can be found by going to this episode right now and clicking on this episode's website link. The book is The Time to Win, How to Exceed Your Customer's Need for Speed. The author is Jay Bear. Jay, thank you very much for returning to the Marketing Book Podcast. Delighted to do it. Let's do it next time in the car. <laughs> And that closes the book on another episode of the Marketing Book Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and found it helpful. If you are one of the hundreds of listeners who have left an iTunes review, please let me return your kind favor by mailing you some Marketing Book Podcast bookmarks and laptop stickers. Just send me your mailing address anywhere in the world and I'll drop it in the mail. And remember the words of the entrepreneur, author, and motivational speaker Jim Rohn, who said, Formal education will make you a living. Self-education will make you a fortune. <laughs>